Thank you, Dave. And welcome to the service tonight. What a blessing it is to have you with us as we're going to continue our journey through the book of Exodus tonight, looking at Exodus chapters 13 and 14. Well, I just again want to welcome you to the service tonight and what a blessing it is to be able to present God's word to you. Last week on Wednesday, we had a prophecy update and we were talking about some of the things going on in the world. And this weekend was pretty bad for the people in Canada, those who were protesting the government up there and things got pretty severe and have continued to be so. And uh, the government has not only cracked down on the truckers and cleared the area in Ottawa, they uh, extended their martial law that they have set in place. And uh, I don't know, sometimes it's awful close. We've been talking about Australia and what's been going on there. And this is just north of us here that it seems like people who as Lord Atten said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely that we have some people who have gained power over the last couple of years and they are not wanting to give it up. Another thing I thought of, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took his dad's throne after the passing of his dad and he listened to the counsel of the wise men, those who had been counselors to Solomon, and then he listened to the counsel of his friends, those who thought they were something, and uh, they were not. And so he went with the counsel of his friends and said, if you think my dad was bad, my little pinky will be like a scorpion's stinger on you, and it's only going to get worse. Well, the people didn't like that, and it divided the kingdom. Twelve tribes, ten went to the north, and two remained in the south with Solomon. And so the people rising up, and I think that's what we are seeing around the world, people rising up. In our own country, there is a trucker convoy that's heading to Washington to be there when President Biden gives his address on March 6th, and uh, they have got permits and, you know, they're attempting to do a legal protest and we'll just see how that goes. But I just want to pray for the conditions of our world and not to mention what's going on in Ukraine and with Russia. Things are definitely challenging. We haven't seen it like this in a long time. And so Dave's last song, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. That's something surely we have to learn to do in the time that we find ourselves in. So, Father, we just tonight, uh, we lift up situations that are going on all around our world. There in Ukraine and Russia, war that is beginning to break out there. And, of course, with the Russian troops gathering for well over a month there on the borders of Ukraine, it was expected But Lord, just last week I learned of some missionaries that decided, American missionaries ministering in Ukraine, deciding to stay and uh, moving their family into what they feel 
safer areas of Ukraine further away from the front. And a couple of these missionaries, Lord, I've met before. And so, Father, I just pray that you would be with not just Calvary missionaries there in Ukraine, but all the children of God who find themselves in this difficult place, both Russian and Ukrainian. Lord, I just pray that your hand be in this situation. We know, Lord, that there'll be an army from the north that plays into the last days, and often Russia is felt to be that army. And maybe next week, month we'll look at this in the prophecy update. But Father, I just pray right now your protection upon your people throughout the world. Pray for our leaders. Lord, give them wisdom. And uh, Father, over the last two years, it seems like there has not been a lot of wisdom. And Father, we need wisdom. We need your spirit to pour out upon our nation and throughout the world. Be with those, Lord, who are standing up for their rights, like in Canada. Here in the United States, we pray, Lord, that you would raise up your church to be among those who stand for truth. One of the pastors from Canada said that the truckers were doing what the church had failed to do. Lord, let that not be said of the churches here in the United States, but I believe, Lord, for many of the churches, it is very true. So give us wisdom, Lord, in these days we find ourselves in. We know that they are hard days, they are difficult days, but we know, Lord, that you control all things, you watch over all things. And Father, may you work in such a way that we would know that you are God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and that you love the world so much that you sent your only begotten Son. And Father, I pray that you would pour your Spirit out upon this world, upon your church. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to see a little bit of that in the Exodus here in Exodus 13 and 14, because the children of Israel at one point will read that they went out of Egypt with boldness, but the boldness would not last very long when trouble would come upon them. And I, I really connect to that. And quite often we can have those moments when we feel like the Lord is with me and Nothing can go against me, and then something will change, and we will feel like we're hemmed in on every side, and our backs up are against the wall. We're going to find that that is how it is for Israel as they go out. And the Lord planned it to be so because the Lord not only wanted to show Pharaoh and the children of Israel that he is the Lord. Remember, Pharaoh when Moses first came to Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? And so God has shown him through 10 plagues that I am the Lord, but Pharaoh hasn't gotten it yet. And there would be one more work that God would do in Egypt there as the children of Israel make their way to the wilderness where God will let Egypt know that he is the Lord. And at the same time, he will let Israel know that he is the Lord and his word is true. So I titled chapter 13, you might think it an odd title, but I titled it The Mummies of Israel. And you won't discover why until we get to the closing verses of chapter 13. But the key verse gives us a clue. 
The key verse for me in Exodus 13:19 connects to that title. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. And so a, a commitment by Moses and the children of Israel to the word of Joseph, the savior of Egypt at one time, and the savior of Israel as well in the then known world. But he knew that the Lord would come for his people and bring them up out of Egypt. And Joseph said, when that happens, take my bones with you. But it was more than bones that they would carry up. And we'll see that as we get into Exodus chapter 13. So I'm going to begin in verses 3 through 10, because verses 1 and 2 actually connect with 11 through 16. And it's teaching the same thing. And so instead of breaking up that thought process, I'll just jump into verse 3 and we'll have the thought that the Lord is given to the children of Israel when he tells them in verses 3 through 10 to remember this day. And then verses 1 and 2 and also 11 through 16 when he tells the children of Israel to consecrate unto him, the Lord speaking, consecrate unto me, all the firstborn of both male and animal that comes forth from the womb. And so it's mentioned in verses 1 and 2, goes into detail in verses 11 through 16. So I'm going to keep those together to keep the thought together. And we'll pick up in verses 3 through 5, the day of Passover. And so remember that they'd had Passover. Uh, We just learned of that. They had killed the lamb that had been in their home from Nisan the 10th until the 14th. They're at twilight between the dusk is how that's described in Hebrew. So like right between the sun all the way setting going down. They killed the Passover lamb. There were many lambs, but we learned in Exodus 12 that it was in a singular sense. They killed the Passover lamb. They then roasted the lamb whole but took its blood and painted it on the uh, the doorpost and the lintel of their homes. And wherever the destroyer that God sent into Egypt, when he came to the house where he saw the blood, he passed over that house. And so that was in the evening. Now this is the following day. And so still the same day. And they count, in Jewish, uh, they count from dusk to dusk, so they count differently than us, and so they consider a day different than we do, so they're in that same day. It's Passover day. They've already had the meal, they've already painted the blood on their houses, and now they're on the road, and they're going out, and the Bible tells us, verses 3 through 5, and Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went up out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of the Lord and the hand of the Lord brought you out of this place, no leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it will be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you will keep this service in this month. I just kind of personally wonder if Moses, Aaron, and 
their sister Miriam just stood on some high vantage point. Uh, maybe they were walking with the children of Israel, leading them out. But I kind of this morning had this idea of Moses just watching the children of Israel flow out of Egypt, making their way into the wilderness. And whether they watched or walked with them, God called for the nation to remember this day. Remember the day that I brought you out of Egypt, the day that God redeemed the children of Israel and brought them from the bondage of Egypt. In Micah 6, 4, one of the minor prophets mentioning this, he said, Micah 6, 4, For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, God speaking, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. The children of Israel, beginning that journey there on the day of Passover, and this is the first week of their travel. It actually meant that they traveled during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for Passover would be from the 14th, Passover day is on the 14th. Then they have the Feast of Unleavened Bread that goes all the way to the 21st. And so normally, and I believe that's why the Lord said through Moses, when you get into the land, you shall keep this service in this month, that there was going to be this custom of remembering it's much like when we celebrate Easter. And for us, at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, we have for pretty much since I've been around here for 20 plus years now, we've taken that week, Monday through Friday, meeting for prayer and celebrating the Good Friday service, spending the week just waiting upon the Lord, praying, singing hymns, taking each night to wait upon the Lord, and then coming together on Good Friday to remember the work of our Lord. This is something that Israel was to do for their children, to teach their children. So what we do here at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, I set up a table in the back corner, a very low table, to kind of get the feel of Israel. They didn't sit in chairs like we do now. You're so comfortable in your chairs right now. But they would kneel. They would uh, actually sit sideways, usually on pillows and have a very low table that they ate at, and we spread out some of the things that might be on the communion table or that Christ would have had with his disciples. No lamb. I have not got to that point yet that we had a Passover lamb for our meal. But on that Good Friday, we take each family or friends, individuals, however they want to come, uh, back to the table one at a time, break bread, share Passover with them. And one of the first times I did this very early on, a family that I know very well came from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa and the founding church of the Calvary Chapel movement. And after we had that communion service, she said, the mom came to me and said, this was the first time that we've had communion with our children. And so it was a teaching time for the children. And I, if children were sitting at the table I taught a little bit before we received communion. And so that is what the Lord is desiring from the children of Israel here to teach their children about Passover. We can do that today in the church to teach about the 
fulfillment of Passover through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Nehemiah 9.10, Nehemiah is remembering this. And this is after the Babylonian captivity. So the children of Israel, they haven't even made it to the promised land yet. That would be another 40 years. We haven't went through the period of the judges or the kings uh, being captured by the Babylonians, 70 years in captivity, uh, the initial phase of coming out of the captivity. Nehemiah would come some 150 years after they were taken into captivity. And yet when he prayed, Nehemiah 9.10, he said, You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And we're talking about uh, possibly a thousand years from this day, and Nehemiah is praying about it. What God did, they remembered because they passed it on to their families from generation to generation. I think this is important for us to teach our children, teach our grandchildren what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So we have the month of Abib mentioned here. And after the Exodus, that became Nisan. And so it's known today as Nisan. Nisan 14th is uh, Passover. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread goes from Nisan 15th through the 21st. And then the Feast of First Fruits on Nisan the 21st. So two different months, but the same month, two different names for the same month. The older, the Abib that's mentioned here in our text. And after they came out of the Babylonian captivity, Nisan, which is referred to today. God not only redeemed them, brought them into the promised land, it was the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as mentioned here. And it was the promise that God had given to Abram in Genesis 15, that his descendants would be given this land, Genesis 15:18, from the river of Egypt to the great river and the river Euphrates. So actually, when we look at the nation of Israel today, and when we look biblically at the boundaries of Israel, the only time that they got close to all that God promised them, promised Abram to the children of Israel, was during the reign of David, because he did have his soldiers over in the area of Babylon at the Euphrates River. And so the boundary is much larger than the small little nation that we see today that is about the size of Lake Michigan or the size of New Jersey. But God promised Abram that his descendants would be given the land, the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And just as the Lord had prophesied over 600 years earlier, I believe, some scholars think it was 430 years. We mentioned that last time we were together that the Bible tells us that the day that they came into Egypt on that very same day, Exodus 12:51, they came out of Egypt 430 years to the day. 
And some say that their stay in Egypt was much shorter, some 215 years. They start counting in the days of Abram. I don't believe the count goes there, but that's me. There's much smarter men and women who look these things over. But there is a debate about the length of stay, some 430 years. Some say 215 years. They were not in captivity when you take it all the way back to Abraham, not in captivity as long as one might think. I don't quite have the answer to that except for Exodus 12, 40 and 41 tells us the children of Israel sojourned there in the land of Egypt 430 years. So I kind of go with that one. It came to pass at the end of 430 years on that very same day. It came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. So when you try to say, no, they weren't actually in Egypt for 430 years, only 215 years, then you have to deal with the 215 years that they were not in Egypt. So what do you do with those years? God said they were going to be 400 years. So it, it gets a little dicey, but... God delivered them, and that's what is important for us. Verses 6 and 7, it tells us, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. As I mentioned, as we looked at this last time we were together looking at Exodus 11 and 12, that leaven symbolically in Scripture represents evil or sin. And so for these seven days, there was to be no leaven in the house. That's why we break unleavened bread when we have communion, because Christ, His body was broken for us, represented by the blood, Jesus Christ without sin. And so they were to be reminded of the great deliverance for them, reminded of the great deliverance of God from Egypt and the provision that he provided for them as they took great wealth out of Egypt as they left. Today it reminds us of Jesus, our Passover, the one who is without leaven, the one who is without sin. As 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. And indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So that unleavened bread today for the church represents the body of Christ. That little piece of bread, supposed to be made without leaven. I'm pretty strict on that, usually. But I know the Greek Orthodox Church When they make their communion bread, they put a little leaven in it, saying that Jesus bore our sins, so they represent our sins in the bread. I don't agree with that, but that's how the Greek Orthodox Church does it. So they're to have a sign on Israel's hand and on their forehead. In verses 8 through 10, Now you shall teach your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when... I came up from Egypt, and it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. 
For with a strong hand the Lord brought you up out of Egypt, and you shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. So the sign to recount the story to their children, to their grandchildren, year after year, to teach their children how God had redeemed them from the bondage of Egypt, brought them up to the promised land, and they were to do so annually. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, speaking about the sign, and they would actually, and we'll look at this again, because he's going to repeat the teaching points to the children in our next point. But one of those verses, the sign, the box that they would wear, the phylactery, the frontlets that they would wear on their forehead, the Orthodox Jews, some do to this day. One of the verses of scripture that's in that little, two little boxes actually that they keep written out on parchment, Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today, they shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Actually, they put them on their forearm on your hand and on the frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates in israel they actually have a small little uh hand often that they would touch when they walk in they have little i forgot the name of what they're called right now but they carry the same scripture and something that as you walk in the house you touch it to remember god their custom when we were in Israel, even their uh, public buses, they had on the doorway of the bus, you enter the bus, they have these traditions that come right from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But the point is that parents are to teach their children. Parents are their children's first teachers. And I believe the most important teachers that they have in life and the things of God. And today we live in a society that's pretty much letting parents know that they are not important as far as teaching their children. In fact, many in our government-run schools want to unteach our children that they can conform them into their image. And if anything good has come out of the last two years, parents in our country have realized that they need to be involved in their children's life much more than they were that's a good thing. Christian parents more so than those who are not Christian. So we find the importance of teaching these things, remembering the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There would also be the Feast of First Fruits, but that's not talked about here, but all in that seven-day period. Now we go back to verses 1 and 2. The consecration of the firstborn. Verses 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. So the setting apart of all the firstborn in Israel to the Lord, it was a requirement of God. God said, they are mine. And the reason God did this is because 
he saved all their firstborn when the destroyer came into Egypt, passed over the houses because of the blood that was on them from the Passover lamb. But because he struck the Egyptians, now God claimed the firstborn as his own. Exodus 12, verses 26 and 27 said, It shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. And so they were to teach these things. They were to set aside, the Lord said, consecrate unto me, set apart the firstborn unto me. We'll find out later on that God desired the firstborn to be the priest of their household, but they would fail when Moses would be on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord and the golden calf was being made at the foot of that mountain. God then would take the tribe of Levi and make that the priestly line, the descendants of Aaron. But initially, God had a different plan. Even so, they were still to set aside the firstborn. They were set aside because they had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The only ones that was threatened on that night of the Exodus when the destroyer came through, were the firstborn. Nobody else was going to be impacted by it, but realize it was up to the parents to make sure that the blood was painted and that their household was saved. So John 5.24, we talked about this last time, the Passover passage of the New Testament, where we too are have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, for the Bible tells us, John 5.24, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. By hearing and believing the testimony of Jesus Christ, we pass from judgment to life. The New Testament Passover verse, John 5:24. So of the firstborn, Verses 11 and 12, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal, which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. And so Moses looked forward to the time when the children of Israel would enter into the promised land. We know historically it would take them another 40 years to get there. God didn't plan it that way for them, but they were stubborn and they took a little longer. I know that you guys can never relate to anyone being stubborn about the things of God. And just like whenever God asks, I instantly do. Well, most of us instantly don't. And sometimes we take a little longer than the Lord intends for us, but thankfully the Lord is able to get us where he desires to be for those who have a heart for God. But he was preparing them for this time. When you're in the land, you're to set apart all the males who open the womb. And we find Numbers 8, 17 through 18, this will be taught for them. 
for all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine. God repeating this in Numbers 8, 17 and 18. All are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. And I have taken the Levites, as I had mentioned, I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. So God originally laid claim to the firstborn in each household. They were to be the priestly line, those who would serve Christ, serve God at the temple, the tabernacle. But because of their sin, the Levites would take that role in their nation. But still, even though the Levites took that role, God still wanted the firstborn to be consecrated unto him. And so there was the temple tax of the firstborn. We just learned this a few weeks ago here on Sunday mornings, that in Luke 2, 22 and 23, when the days of Mary's purification were finished according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so Jesus was presented there at the temple according to this law that is first introduced to us here in Exodus chapter 13. And we'll learn about in Leviticus and Numbers and probably Deuteronomy as well. But according to the law, Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And even as a baby, though he had nothing to do with this, as a baby, the law was being fulfilled for him. So again, it shall be as a sign between your, on your hands and between your eyes, verses 14 through 16. It will be when your sons ask in time to come, saying, what is this that you shall say to him? By the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, it came to pass. When Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn man and the firstborn beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Okay, I was just for a moment thinking you can't sacrifice your boy. They redeemed the boy back, five silver coins. We learned about that a few Sundays ago here. They redeemed five silver coins of the temple. How they redeemed their sons back. Verse 16, it shall be as a sign on your hand, as frontlets between your eyes, for the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So their traditions were opportunities for the parents to teach their children about God's deliverance. They had these prayer boxes, the phylacteries, the frontlets that they would wear, phylactery, two leather boxes that have long straps that they tie it on their arms. And inside the boxes are these passages of Scripture, Exodus 13, 1 through 10, what we're looking at tonight, verses 11 through 16, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which I've already read to you, and Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 21. That's kind of a longer passage. I'll give you the shorter version of that. Deuteronomy 11, 19 through 21 says, You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. And so we are to once again teach. First of all, God's word needs to be in our heart. Before we can be a proper teacher of the word of God, we need the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We need the empowering, the filling of his spirit in our lives. But then we're to pass these things on to our children, to our grandchildren. That's the stage of life where I'm at where I still can be a teacher to my children, but my children are both in their 40s now. And so I can be that teacher to my grandchildren, which is very important to me. These life lessons are to come from every area of our life. We're to talk about Jesus, as I said, as Scripture says, when we rise up, when we sit down, when we walk on the road, and we're to make the children curious. The question is that as it came here, your son shall ask, what is this? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Make them curious about the word of God. I think sometimes we fail in that. Both these passages of teaching the children reminded them And the Lord brought us up out of Egypt by a strong hand, that they were the redeemed of the Lord. And we need to share with our children how the Lord saved us, how we have been redeemed by Jesus, what makes it unique in our lives. I mean, we're all saved the same way by the blood of Jesus Christ, but we each come differently to Christ. We each have a story. We each have a testimony. And that's something we can share with our children. So the Lord took them by the way of the wilderness. He could have quickly took them to the promised land. But God did not do that in verses 17 through 22 as we finish out this chapter. And I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. The word of God tells us, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night by the pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So there in verses 21 and 22, we're introduced to the Shekinah glory that led the children of Israel the whole time that they were there in the wilderness. And again, that would be for 40 years. So God didn't take them directly to the promised land because he knew that if they immediately experienced war, 
they might turn around and head back to Egypt. When the going gets tough, some people just run. I know it's supposed to be the tough gets going, but that doesn't always work out. As we will see when the children of Israel have the opportunity to go into the promised land the first time, only Joshua and Caleb would be two that would stand up and say, let's go. But that's later. Right now, the Lord took them the long way, and it would become a much longer road for them. While the Egyptians were busy burying their dead, Israel went out in orderly ranks, taking with them the mummified bones of Joseph, who had placed Israel under this solemn oath, saying, when God visits our people, you shall surely take my bones from here. In Israel, they would actually take the bodies and mix it with lime that it would quickly eat away the flesh and then take the bones and bury the bones. We saw one of these burial caves there at the Garden of Gethsemane in Israel today where they had discovered these small burial boxes where there's bones and the boxes we were seeing were children's bones that they had unearthed there at that site. But that's what Israel did at that time. But Egypt, they mummified bodies. Joseph's body was mummified, which is quite interesting to me. So God led them out, as I said, by the Shekinah glory as well. And we'll learn more about the Shekinah glory cloud, and it will be introduced to us again in chapter 14. So I titled it The Mummies of Israel, because according to the Word of God, there are at least two mummified bodies, mummified in Egypt, but ultimately taken to the promised land, and that is of Jacob and his son Joseph. So Jacob had been buried when he first came to Egypt. He died 17 years later, and they mummified his body, and Joseph took him up into the promised land and buried them there with Abraham and Sarah and Leah and Rachel. I had that wrong. Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah. Jacob had four wives, so I'm sure he got confused sometimes too. Yeah, you, that one. They're making discoveries in Israel all the time. In 2009, on the day of Hanukkah, researchers discovered 264 golden coins that were from the 7th century. In Beth Shane, our tour guide when we were in Israel told us that somebody wanted to, it's kind of a running joke in Israel, but somebody was planning to build a pizza parlor. They started excavating for the pizza parlor. They undercovered some ruins. And they have, in the area of the, the Decapolis that we read about in the New Testament, 10 Roman areas or Gentile areas in the land of Israel, they uncovered a Roman area, a Roman city. What they didn't even know was there, they have now since unearthed a 7,000-seat amphitheater, a Roman bathhouse, and many other the areas of their homes that they lived in. This is also the area where King Saul and his son's bodies were hung on the wall by the Philistines after their death. Remember, they beheaded King Saul and his sons and took their bodies in the area of Bethshane. But today is just 
mind-blowing that this was there at the time of Christ, this full Roman city with a 7,000-seat amphitheater, and I've sat on those stone seats. They've unearthed so much of it, and they tilted back up the columns there and made the city that's divided into four squares. It was well-planned, but it was destroyed suddenly by an earthquake and abandoned so quickly that it was over time buried until it was discovered. And now you can go and visit it today. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. It was uh, in the area of Qumran, and a young shepherd boy, not an Israeli shepherd boy, but a Bedouin out keeping his family sheep, doing what boys do when they're out tending sheep. I just assume, you know, you got dirt, and there's a lot of dirt out there. You got rocks, and there's a lot of rocks out there. Boys love to throw rocks, and he was throwing rocks in a cave. He heard something break. Before you know it, they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, unearthed portions of every book of the Old Testament except for the book of Esther. And one of the greatest discoveries so far, and I've seen the copy of this in the museum in Jerusalem, and I don't know if it's the actual piece. Uh, They're trying to preserve it, but a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. It was nearly 1,000 years older than any other copy that they had, and it was almost word for word from the copies that they did have. So an amazing discovery. So someday we may turn on the news one day and said, oddly enough, they just found an Egyptian mummy in Israel. And I would initially think, is it Jacob or is it Joseph? It's got to be one or two of them. But as the redeemed of the Lord, we are to teach our children. So I'm going to do a little bit more reading, maybe less commentary in chapter 14. There's a bit of reading here, but we'll find that the Lord will fight for you. Chapter 14, there's going to be one final hardening of the heart of Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. Verses 1 through 4, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi Hathoroth, there in Migdal at the sea opposite Baal Zephon, and you shall camp before it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, the wilderness has closed them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So God's guiding them, with the Shekinah glory, God's directing them, but he takes them and hymns them in. With the uh, Red Sea, they'll be backed up against the sea. They'll have mountains on either side. And ultimately, the Egyptian armies bearing down on them. God brought them to a place of no escape. He brought them to a place where all they could do is trust in God for their deliverance. And we would think by now, after 10 plagues, that they would trust in God. But that is not how this plays out. Romans 9:17, speaking of Pharaoh, Paul writes, For this very purpose, Scripture says, speaking of God, Paul recounting it, Romans 9:17, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, 
that my name may be declared in all the earth. Remember I'd said that Nehemiah, after the Babylonian captivity, hundreds of years later would refer to this scene. And so they would remember this declaration of God, that God's name would be declared in all the earth. Verses 5 through 9, so it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, took his people with him, also took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt that with captains over every one of them. So as I was reading that, all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them, there is a, it came out of the Calvary Chapel movement. There's a internet television station called His Channel. And they actually have a documentary on the chariots of Egypt, I believe, a movie. So they have live program. They have pre-recorded stuff. They have some Christian movies there on His Channel. I believe that they have a documentary on this Red Sea crossing the chariots and some of the things that have been discovered. So just an interesting note, you might want to look into that. Psalm 105.25, he turned their hearts to hate his people and to deal craftily with his servants. God turning their hearts against Israel, but God wanted to teach Egypt and also to teach Israel at this time. So verses 8 and 9, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. I like that. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses of the chariots of Pharaoh. His horsemen and his army overtook them, camping by the sea of Pi-Hahithroth before Baal-Zephon. I like it. They went out with boldness, but they were soon overtaken by the Egyptians and they lost that boldness. They went out much like the psalmist who declared in 118.6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And suddenly 600 chariots are trampling down toward them. Some have related the warfare of a chariot and compared it to the modern day tank. It was such advanced fighting that it can be compared to if you had 600 tanks suddenly facing you, how would you feel? Well, Jesus will talk about the last day events. And he'll talk about the many things that will come upon this world that I think we're seeing many of these things right now. Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, when you see these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And I think when we get backed up, they're backed up against the Red Sea. We might say backed up against the wall, hemmed in on every side. We're right where we need to be at times, looking up to Jesus as our only hope. Verses 10 through 14, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid. Remember, they went out with boldness. They saw the Egyptians. Now they're afraid. They cried out to the Lord. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, 
Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? So they turned on God and they turned on God's leaders at that time. That scenario has often been played out in the church. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we, than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will not see. I'm reading that wrong. You shall see again no more forever. I wouldn't say it that way, but that's how it's written. You shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. So they're backed up and the Egyptian army is approaching 600 chariots, all their men of war. They were very afraid. They cried out to the Lord. They cried out and blaming Moses. And yet, Moses commanded them to not be afraid to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 106.7 refers to this saying, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. How long were they gone? They had just gotten out of Egypt, just made it to the Red Sea. And already they're saying, why did we leave? It wouldn't be the last time that they would say that. But here, what Moses commanded them to do, do not be afraid, stand still, seize the salvation of the Lord. Verses 15 through 29. We'll take it through 18 right now. We find Moses doing a little crying of his own here to God. The Lord saying to him, then, why are you crying to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. And initially they're thinking, how? The Red Sea is in front of us. We can't go forward. Verse 16 through 18. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. The children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I will indeed harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over his armies, his chariots, his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God commanded Moses to do the impossible. Thankfully, with God, according to Mark 14, 23, with God, all things are possible. Once again, the rod of the Lord is used. He is to lift it up stretch it out over the sea. And God caused the east wind to blow all that night. The sea was divided. The children of Israel went forth on dry ground. While they were going over, the Shekinah glory cloud, we'll read about in a moment, that went before them, went behind them, and stood between them and the Egyptians. And we will see now verses 19 Through 22, the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went before them and stood behind them. So that it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And thus it was the cloud and darkness to the one. 
and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters of the walls of them were on the right hand and on the left. Plain enough, there are some who try to say that it wasn't very deep, so they just waded across. Well, we'll read about in a moment that God would drown all the Egyptians in not very deep water. If the Israelis could wade across, you would think that the greatest soldiers in Egypt could also wade over shallow water. But it doesn't talk about shallow water. It talks about dry ground. That is for Israel, but not for the Egyptians who would pursue them into the midst of the sea. And again, we read in verses 23 through 29, and the Egyptians pursued, went into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. Now it came to pass at the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and in the cloud, and he troubled the armies of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. Yeah, that would be hard. The Egyptians said, Let's flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea was turned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. That would be something to see the wall standing on either side and wondering if they're going to crash in on you and Perhaps even as they were walking across, Israel walking across, hearing the waters crashing in behind them on the Egyptians. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11:29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground, as were the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So the Lord, verses 30 and 31. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so all the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So initially, God caused Egypt, Pharaoh, to pursue Israel that Egypt might know that he is the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. But now we learn also that Israel now understood that it was God who had done these great things. And the people feared the Lord and also believed the Lord and believed Moses. In a similar way, we can often 
come to a place where we think our back is against the wall. We're hemmed in on every side. We're the world pressing in, perhaps from the rear. It looks like we're at a place of no escape. At times like this, we have to be like Israel, where Moses commanded them to not fear. That's a hard one. Stand still, even harder. I want to do something and see the salvation of the Lord. So first of all, do not be afraid. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do not fear. Stand still. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Stand fast, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Revelation 19.1 After these things I heard with a loud voice a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and honor and glory and power belong to the Lord our God. And may we have a faith stance that will be seen by our children in the day and age that we live in, that we'd not only stand fast, but that we would teach our children in these days that they too might trust in the Lord. Let's go ahead and stand and pray. Father, we thank you for this word you've given us this evening. It could be, Lord, that we might be more like Israel than we would want to admit. We might feel like we're there at the Red Sea, our backs against the wall, mountains hemming us in on each side, and the destroying army coming for us, like it was for Israel with Egypt pursuing them. Yet, Lord, you commanded them through Moses to not be afraid, to stand still and to see the salvation of God. So we pray tonight, Lord, that you would help us to not have fear when fear is trying to grip our heart. Help us, Lord, to stand in the faith that you have given us, to stand upon that foundation. May we look to you for our hope and our salvation, that we might see the salvation of the Lord and give testimony of it to others. Help us, Lord, to be those who would share these truths with our children, that they too might come to know you in life-saving faith. And be with us now, Lord, as we leave this place. Bless us. Bless our family. Lord, be with this country. Father, it seems that things are changing so quickly that your son Jesus must be coming very soon. And Lord, we ask that you would come. But until you come, Lord, help us to do business until you come. Help us to serve you until we see you face to face. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Could be those listening on radio tonight, watching through social media. If you have a prayer request, questions, please email us at cclv at comcast.net. CCLV at Comcast.net. If you have questions about our church, you can find us at CCLV.org. CCLV.org. And uh, Pastor Kevin will be teaching this coming Sunday at 10 a.m. And I pray that God will bless you and keep you. 
that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.